All right. Good morning. Good morning, Weymouth. Good morning. Hey, nice. You guys are awake this morning. I like it. All right. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here. Um, we're happy you're, you're here with us. You're happy that you've come to join us for worship this morning in person or online. Uh, as we get started this morning, our, our church practice is just to prepare our hearts for worship, just with a few moments of, of just silent prayer and reflection. Uh, so please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. David writes in Psalm 62, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we, uh, we praise you this morning. We come humbly before you, remembering that you are our rock and our salvation, that you are our fortress, that you uh, keep us from being shaken, Lord. Whatever's happening in our lives, whatever's happening in the world, whatever fears or, or burdens or struggles are in our own hearts, Lord, help us to give them up to you, to find our refuge in you alone remember that on you alone rests our salvation, rests our glory, that our ultimate refuge is found not in what we do or what we have failed to done, not what happens in the world around us, but ultimately in what you have done perfectly for us in your Son, our Savior. So help us to rest in you, to praise you because of who you are and because of all you've done for us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, please stand and we'll sing together. splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to Time is in his hands, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. 
joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, it's great to hear you all singing this morning. You sound in good voice, so we're going to continue doing that in just a moment. But uh, first, we have a couple uh, announcements here this morning. Uh, the first is, is we are excited to, uh, to welcome a, a great friend of Weymouth, uh, Matt Baysmore and his wife Deb and their girls here. Uh, Matt is the pastor of Living, Her uh, Living Hope Church, and Matt has been a great friend to me as, as I've uh, come to Medina, started out pastoring in Medina. Um, last year, Matt and I uh, led a combined youth group together uh, for a while, so some of you were a part of that. And so uh, I got to know Matt in the trenches of youth ministry, which is always a great place to get to know somebody. And when you can see, when you see how somebody is, is, is a faithful pastor in the midst of youth ministry, uh, then you're happy to invite them to come to your church, right? Because, I mean, this is nothing compared to middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? Yeah, you get it, Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're happy to have you guys. Many of you will know Matt and, and Deb and their girls uh, better and longer than I have. They have a lot of family connections here at Weymouth, so we're really glad to have you guys back. And thank you, Matt, for coming to opening, Open God's Word with us this morning. Uh, a few other announcements you'll notice if you got uh, a bulletin this morning that we have uh, an insert about our elder nominations. Uh, it's that time of year again, usually around November, we, uh, we open, open the door metaphorically, not literally. We're not getting guys off the street, but we open the door for, uh, for, for men to be nominated as uh, elders of Weymouth Community Church. Um, and the, I believe that the qualifications that we see in First Timothy and Titus are, are, are written on that handout in your bulletins as well, uh, so you know the kind of qualities to look for. I'll say this, we are anticipating looking uh, to fill two elder roles uh, in January at our annual meeting. We are looking for two elders. Um, the reason for that is because Russ Kinnebrew and Jim Stevens, who currently serve as elders, their terms are coming to an end. And the way our constitution works is at the end of that term, uh, elders can, can choose to step down or they can choose to continue for another four-year term. Uh, they just have to be nominated again and, and, and affirmed again by the members. So uh, both Russ Kinnebrew and Jim Stevens have, have, agree, have agreed that they would be open and, and happy to be nominated again, serve another term as elders. Um, but we are asking some, as elders, we're asking the congregation uh, to, to nominate uh, one of them. If, if you would like to, they are open to that. I uh, wanted to make that clear that they are they're happy to continue as elders. They just need someone from the common congregation to, to nominate them once again and then to be reaffirmed in January. So you can read more about that in your bulletins. You can come talk to me if you have any questions about that. But that is just kind of how the process works uh, for each of our elders as they serve these four-year terms. Then they can get renominated, reaffirmed, serve another four-year terms, or they can step away at that point. So uh, that is, is happening this month and next month. We're asking if you could uh, 
get those nominations in before, I think we said December 17th, uh, December 17th, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I read the bulletin this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, December 17th is the deadline for that, so between now and then, so about a little over a month to get those nominations. You can get them to me, to uh, any of the elders, uh, and let us know who you, who you would like to nominate. Uh, and then our goal is, to, our prayerful goal is to have five, to continue to have five elders uh, at our annual meeting affirmed in January. So uh, that's coming up. We also have a, a couple outreaches we are doing. Uh, we are asking people to donate books for Live Inspired. In a couple of weeks, we'll have some stockings available, some lists of names available. But if you would like to uh, volunteer to donate three books to Live Inspired, this is a ministry that is led by Laura Pixon, uh, who is a member of our church here. And uh, they help provide uh, training for parents in parenting and early literacy. Uh, so we're coming alongside them in order to help provide some books for kids and families uh, for Christmas uh, so if you would like to sign up for that, there's a sign-up sheet at the welcome table through these doors. There's also a sign-up sheet uh, if you would like to host an international student in the middle of December. We have some dates where we're going to be hosting some international college students from Columbus, from Kent State, from the surrounding area. So if that's something you'd like to do, open up your home for a couple of days, uh, welcome a college student, welcome an international student into your family during the holidays, you can sign up to do that as well. And then uh, finally on December 17th, we are having what we are just calling the, uh, the Weymouth Christmas Celebration. And this is going to be a time during the service on the 17th where we are going to have our Weymouth kids in the service. They're going to sing a couple of Christmas songs for us uh, during the worship service. And then afterwards, we'll have Christmas cookies and hot chocolate and fun things like that in the community room. Uh, so we're, we're encouraging you if, you, if you have kids, if you, if you have uh, grandparents, grandparents, uh, neighbors, friends, aunts and uncles, that's a great time to invite them to come in and see the kids sing, come in, stick around for some, some cookies and hot chocolate. So that's going to be a fun way to kick off that, that week of, of celebrating Christmas. And again, that's December 17th. That's going to be the week before uh, Christmas Eve, the Sunday before Christmas Eve, because uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. So that'll be the following Sunday. And we'll have more details about our plans for Christmas Eve and in the coming weeks here. But uh, pay attention to the bulletin, pay attention to our website, weymouthchurch.com. And you can stay up to date on all these things going on. And again, if you have any questions, you can come talk to me. I'd love to, to greet you, talk with you, uh, get to know more about who you are, where you're coming from. Uh, but in light of all these things, uh, allow me to pray for us. And then we'll have our, our children's lesson together. Well, Father, we thank you for uh, this, this gathering, for this church family, for the opportunity we have both to gather together to worship and, and praise and serve you. And also for the opportunities to go out into our community uh, to take your love and the truth of your gospel to those who don't yet know you. And Lord, we thank you for the team of elders that we have, for, for Russ and, and Jim and Dave and, and Jim, and we thank you for their faithfulness. And, um, and as, as, as Russ and Jim anticipate their terms coming to an end and, uh, and this time of nomination and, and, and approval and affirmation, Lord, we thank you that they're willing to, to, to serve again. We thank you for their continued desire to, to be faithful shepherds of this congregation here. And Lord, we ask that you'll also uh, raise up uh, new shepherds into the future, that you'll continue to grow your church uh, through, through elders, through uh, pastors, through shepherds and teachers. And we thank you that you've given these kind of leaders to your church to, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Lord, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So help us to grow together in that unity, in that maturity, even through this process of, of nominating and affirming elders and, and help us too as we think about 
uh, what was discussed at our meeting last week as we anticipate the annual meeting in January as we go through Christmas together Lord all the all the different details of the church whether they're more business oriented or ministry oriented Lord we just thank you for all of the opportunities we have to serve together in this unity for your glory so make things clear uh, help us to have your wisdom as we look at uh, elders as we go forward into the rest of this year and into the next um, just go before us in all these things Lord we lift them up to you we also lift up these opportunities we have with Live Inspired with international students to reach out to our community. Help us to be faithful with you, faithful to you in these opportunities. Help us to, to seek to, to serve those in our community who are in need, who may be far from you, may be struggling, uh, who, who may have no place to go over Christmas break, who may be uh, from another country and staying here and studying here. Lord, help us to welcome them as you have welcomed us. Lord, use us as a, as a light uh, for you in this dark world, that more people may come to know Christ through our service, through our words, through our welcome, through our friendship. More people may come to know you through your word, through faith in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you'll use all we do over Christmas with this celebration with the kids, with Christmas Eve, with everything going on around this busy time of year. Lord, help us to, to be able to keep our eyes fixed on you. To, to be able to grow in our, our, our love for you during this time and let that love overflow onto those around us, Lord, especially those like, like Connie Sinook and, and Ken and others who are struggling with sickness and, and going through difficult times, Lord. We pray that you'll help us to come around them with your love and your peace and your presence. Lord, help them to, 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 to trust in you and to know your peace and your grace in a powerful new way during this time. We lift up others who are struggling, who are struggling with sickness and physical issues, but also with emotional challenges and family hardships and other difficulties in our church family. Lord, help us to bear one another's burdens, Lord, to come alongside one another, to point each other to the ultimate hope and security we have in Christ, our refuge. And help us praise you, help us to praise you in response, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite the kids up now. Uh, it's, it's time for our children's lesson in the New City Catechism, so you guys can come on up to the front. Sit up on the steps here, or up in the front here. Oh, 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 oh. You, you got the middle seat that time. Nice. That's always tricky. I'm always afraid I'm going to trip and make a fool of myself in front of everyone. Uh, but it didn't happen, so that's good. Nice. Welcome, guys. Ooh, I love the stitch shirt. That's awesome. All right, well, we are on question number 49 in our catechism together. Raise your hand if you can. Almost to 100, that's true. Um, raise your hand if you can count to 49. Raise your hand if you can count to 49. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that I can, honestly. I, uh, I thought about it this morning, and I feel like I would skip like 32 or 33 or 42 or something, right? Does that ever happen to you guys? You ever skip numbers on accident? Nope. Nope. You guys, fair. Um, yeah, you guys are pretty smart. So we are on question number 49. But before we ask that question, I have another question for you, which is if you were a princess or a prince or a queen or a king, right? Sometimes you might play and imagine that. If you were a king or a queen or a prince or a princess, what kind of chair would you sit on? What kind of chair do these people sit on? Yeah. A throne. A throne, right? Now, what, what, what makes a throne different from other chairs? Yeah. They're cushier than other chairs. That's true. That's probably true. That's a fair. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're usually made of expensive stuff like gold or silver or metal or other stuff. Um, now, why why do we make thrones so fancy? Thrones for a king or a queen or a prince or why are they so? Why do we make them with such fancy stuff? Why do you guys think? What does it represent? Yeah. 
Yeah, right. That they that a king or a queen or a prince or a princess. Uh, we live in America, so we don't really have that. We're kind of anti-monarchy here. But um, in, in the past, in olden times, and other places, they have right. They have kings and queens, and so these thrones are super fancy because it's meant to show. Oh, this person has a greater authority. Where they sit uh, reveals. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Where they sit reveals their. Yeah, they're higher, right? They're higher. They have a greater power, a greater authority. So keep that picture of a throne in mind as we read our question for this week. It's question 49. The question is this, where is Christ now? And the answer is Christ. That's right. Good job. Uh, The answer is Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus came. He became a man, right? He went to the cross. He, He died on the cross for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. He rose back to life. And Jesus, when he rose, he, he stuck around for a while and spent some time with his disciples. But then in the beginning of the book of Acts, we read how Jesus ascended, how he rose back up to heaven. And the reason he did that is really important so that he could rise up and, and be seated at the right hand of his father. Jesus is the son of God. He is in heaven. He is risen and he is seated at the right hand of his father. Mm-hmm. Nice. You're almost there when you read the Bible yourself. Okay, cool. That's great. Right? And so the Bible talks about uh, the, the, the throne room of heaven, right? It talks about how Jesus is, is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, it doesn't tell us what kind of throne Jesus had. It doesn't tell us what kind of, what, what material it's made out of. But the picture we see in Scripture is that Jesus is, because he died and because he rose again, because he's God's son, he is risen and reigning. He is seated in a place that is high over all of us. He is ruling and reigning and risen above every other power, every other authority, every other king or, king or queen or kingdom or earthly power. And that's really, really important to remember, you guys, because as Christians, we don't just have a hope that, uh, that Jesus died for our sins and and took the penalty that we deserve, and so now we can be forgiven, and that's great. We have a hope that Jesus did that. He died for our sins. He brings us forgiveness, but he's also our risen king. He's also ruling and reigning, and so we can place our trust in him. We can have a relationship with him. He's alive. We can know him, and when we know Jesus, we're not just knowing another person. We're not just knowing a good teacher or a goofy pastor or something. We We are knowing the king of the universe, who is, who is risen, who is ruling. And so whatever happens in the world, you know, when bad things happen, when scary things happen, when we're worried about things in our own hearts, when we're worried if, if God will really hold us, if he is really in control, we can look to Jesus. We can look to uh, the Bible and what Jesus tells us about himself in Scripture and know, okay, Jesus died. He experienced the worst thing that ever happened. He died in our place, but then he brought life out of that. And he's actually risen and reigning out of that. So you can always trust Jesus, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on in the world, whatever fears are in our own hearts or struggles are in our own hearts, we can look to him, and if we trust in him because of his death, because of his resurrection, and now because of his, his rule and his reign at his Father's right hand, we can know that Jesus will hold us secure, that he is a sufficient, secure, perfect Savior and King. Those are a lot of big words, and all that's to say is that because Jesus is ruling on a throne, he is the King. He is in charge. He is ultimate over everything. And so we can trust him and also so we can worship him. He is worthy of our our praise and our worship. And that's why we sing to him together as a church family on Sunday mornings. So Jesus has the greatest throne there has ever been, there ever will be. He's seated at the right hand of his father. He is our perfect savior. He's also our risen ruling king. And that gives us a lot of hope and a lot of security when when the world seems crazy or scary or when life is hard. 
So let's, let's pray to him now with that hope. Let's pray together to, to our, our risen and ruling king. Well, Father, we thank you for um, this hope that we have in Christ, who, who died as our perfect substitute and savior, who, who rose again to bring us life, who is ruling over us as our sure uh, and steadfast Lord and king. We thank you that in him we can have uh, perfect security. We can trust him in faith and, and, and not fear and not wonder uh, if you really are all-powerful, if you really are in control. So we thank you for the, 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 the reign of Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, our King. Help us to live out of that hope, to trust and rely on you, and not any earthly king or earthly power, uh, or even our own power, Lord. Help us to look, and re- look to and rest in Christ alone, we pray. In his name, amen. Amen. All right, well, you guys are going to go now to, uh, to Weymouth Kids with Mr. and Mrs. Pixton, so line up behind them, and then the rest of us will stand and we'll sing together. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. fails his lovely face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand His oath is covenant His blood support me in the whelming flood When all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
Father God, we just thank you that um, we can stand on the rock that is your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for um, all that he has accomplished for us on the cross. I pray that as Pastor Matt comes to deliver your word to us, that uh, through his preparation and um, his faithfulness to you, that we would be strengthened in our own faith and that we would... Uh, just be strengthened in the word as well, Lord. Just thank you for Pastor Matt's faithfulness to you, and um, Lord, that we would be attentive to, to your word here this morning, Lord. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, it's definitely good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, I see uh, recognizable faces and faces I've never seen before. So um, it's already been mentioned, but let me just say I grew up in Weymouth Church. Um, and uh, actually, I'm going to start my timer because I respect your time. Uh, if we were in the old Weymouth Church building, I would have pointed right to the second pew on this side. That's where I grew up sitting every Sunday, singing, hearing from people behind me and in front of me. Um, there were a few times where I, my mom had to lead me out pulling my hair or tweaking my ear because I was being unruly. Uh, not proud about that, and the floors would squeak. Uh, you could not hide that you were being let out, <laughs> especially if you were sitting in the very front. Um, but uh, Weymouth, uh, just kind of, I, I think of Weymouth as this is like my second church home, and so I do feel like I'm coming to um, family. Well, literally, um, uh, my family still comes here. So my, uh, my younger brother, Mike, and my mom still attend. Many of you know their names. So let me just address the elephant in the room. Mike is better looking than me. Just, I can't do anything about it. So if you're wondering about that, now you know. Um, uh, uh, ask me in private. Um, <laughs> you know, this morning, uh, there are things that just take us by surprise. Right? There are things that we think we understand, and then, boo, something changes, and we learn something new. Now, that often happens in marriage, right? Um, you, you date for a while, you get engaged, and you go through the whole process of getting married, and then you never leave each other. And, then, and in that process, you learn new things about this person that you've pledged your life to that, that, you're never gonna, uh, that you, you, you could never know before that. And so it takes us by surprise, like, wow, I, I never do that. One of those things, uh, it could be like in the very mundane things, right? Like toothpaste. So let me just show you an example. Here is how I handle my tube of toothpaste. You'll see it's nice and flat as I use it. It's perfect. I don't squeeze it from the middle. I squeeze it from the bottom up in order to get the most pressure onto my toothbrush. It just makes sense, right? Well, this is how my wife does it. She squeezes from the middle. And I look at that and I think, why? There's stuff in the bottom. You've you got you to squeeze from top so it's nice and flat and organized. And it's just, it just makes sense to me. But it's been a surprise. 
And so this morning, I want to look at a surprise of something that we might be all familiar with, but to consider that there might be something that we may not know about this event. And it's about the baptism of Jesus. And so, if you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And I'll, I have just a few more words before I get to there. But, um, but what I want to share this, uh, this morning is I was recently surprised by this. I heard it from a speaker at a conference I recently attended. And it's just something that captured me, captured my heart, captured my attention. And I've just been mauling over it. And, uh, and there's just some things that the Holy Spirit did in my heart that connected that I just want to share with you to get you can to consider because it has ultimate application to our everyday lives. The mundane, the over and over again, the getting up, going to work, or taking care of kids, and going to bed, preparing meals, all these things. It has something to bear on our everyday life. And so, may the Lord bless it this morning. So, this key question I want to open up with is, what did Jesus' baptism mean? What did Jesus' baptism mean? You know, if you want to understand the New Testament, you first must be familiar with the Old. And one of the things that we see as you read the Gospel, Jesus is making tons of connections to the Old. So, for example, Sermon on the Mount. There's clear imagery that harkens back to Moses bringing the law down to God's people to the mountain of God and saying, this is how you ought to live in relationship with me. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he's sitting on the mount. And he's giving instructions to the people of God that they might know how to have a relationship with him. Another connection, Jesus' travels. If you connect where Jesus travels with his disciples, it's very similar to the path of Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, where he traveled around and did his ministry. You have the choosing of the 12 disciples who matches up to the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is doing something there. He's making connections. The 40 days of temptation in the wilderness connects to the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness by God's people before they enter the promised land. And so all over the place. And one one final one is the crucifixion at Passover. We cannot escape that if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you're going to miss those connections, those clues that Jesus, something as big is going on in the life of Jesus and what he's doing. And so now I want to bring up, is there something going on big with the baptism of Jesus? So that's what we want to look at. What did Jesus' baptism mean? So now let me read Matthew 3, verses 15 through 17. He's with John the Baptist on on the shore of the Jordan. But Jesus answered John the Baptist, saying, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I'm sure many of you, if you've grown up in the church, are familiar, have come across this passage, maybe you've heard a sermon or two about it. If you've been baptized uh, as a follower of Jesus, uh, you probably were gone through with this, looking at the highlights, because we do this because Jesus was baptized. 
And so we want to ask this question this morning, what did it mean? What did it mean? Well, maybe we look at the passage and, and, uh, and we see some certain highlights here, right? So here are some things. If you were to read all, of, all four Gospels record about the baptism of Jesus. And when you see that happen, it's like, okay, this is something significant. There's something that we need to look at and see how do each of the witnesses of the four Gospels speak about this event. And you're going to see some similar kinds of details. Here are some of them. Uh, we read it in Matthew and in others. Like it has something to do with righteousness. Jesus says we must do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. It has something to do with water, right? The Jordan, it's right there. There's uh, the Spirit descending down on Jesus. You have Jesus who has been immersed in the waters. He's coming out of the water. You have the Father's voice out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son. And also when you read all four gospel accounts, it has something to do with John the Baptist as well. And so maybe, as we look at all those summary of details, and obviously each gospel has a little bit of nuance or a little, a little bit different description, but they all agree on these major details of what's going on in, John's, uh, in Jesus' baptism. So maybe, let's just start off with, one of the clues of the text is, well, maybe this is for John the Baptist, right? Maybe Jesus' baptism was specifically to identify for, Jesus, for John who the Messiah was, who God was sending, the one that John said, there's somebody who comes after me. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the hero talked about in the Old Testament to come and rescue God's people. But somebody comes after me whom I'm unworthy to tie his sandal. And John was told, hey, he who you see the Spirit descending on him, that's the one. So maybe it's about identifying for John, the Baptist, who the Messiah is, and it's Jesus. Well, maybe it's about some kind of cleansing. Maybe the Baptist is about some kind of cleansing, right? We, he's dipped in water, he comes up. The, the original hearers, witnesses who were Jewish, may have made a connection back to some of the ceremonial laws where the priest had to rinse himself, bathe himself before doing a service. And this is definitely notable in Leviticus chapter 16 where it talks about the most holy day where the one day out of the whole year the great high priest was able to enter into the holy of holies where God's presence was here on the earth. He was only allowed to enter at one time. In Leviticus chapter 16 in verses 4 and in 24 the high priest has to bathe himself first, go into the Holy of Holies. He's got some ceremonies, some things to do there. Then when he comes out, he has to bathe himself again. And then he offers the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for, his pe for the people of God, as well as for his own sin. So here we have, we know the end goal of Jesus, right? He's come to pay for the sins of the world on the cross. And here at the beginning of his ministry, he bathes himself. He, it, you can't miss the, the imagery here. He, he literally gets immersed in the water. He comes out. So maybe it's some kind of cleansing, kind of setting apart that I am here as the high priest to deal with the sins of mankind. And it culminates in the cross. So maybe it's for identifying for the, John the Baptist and maybe for others who saw the Spirit descend on him. Maybe the baptism was about some kind of cleansing that he's the high priest. And in Hebrews, this letter to the Hebrews, we read specifically how Jesus is the great high priest. 
And it all talks about the language of him entering into the Holy of Holies. So the imagery fits, right? If it has something to do with some kind of ritual cleansing, setting apart for Jesus for his work that ultimately culminates on the work of the cross, for the atoning of the sins of his people. Bathing in water was also an act of seeing cleansing, some kind of cleansing, setting apart. If that's the case, well then, maybe what Jesus says, we need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness, kind of fits. Right? It's something right. There's, whenever you're dealing with righteousness, there's got to be some kind of cleansing, atoning for sin in order that one can be righteous before God and able to enter into his presence. So Jesus says, we must do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. So maybe that there seems to be some clues from the text there that fits to some kind of a cleansing. That Jesus, what, this is what Jesus is doing in getting baptized. So let's talk about this righteousness. What does this refer to? What is righteousness? Righteousness is this. And this is my own definition, so... Take it as you will. So I don't have a citation. That's all I'm saying. You can, we can think of righteousness as this, the state of being, the state of things being as they should be. Righteousness is the state of things being as they should be. So when we read in the early chapters of Genesis, we read about Adam and Eve, and theologians we've called that they were created in a state of original righteousness. Everything was right with the world. They were right with each other. They were right with God. They were right with creation. And because everything was right, they had this original righteousness. We read about Abraham later on, where he believed God, and to him it was considered or counted as righteousness. The reason why that was considered as right, part of it is because Abraham was relating to God as we should relate to God. He trusted God's word, trusted him. And so there's a kind of righteousness attached to that because that's the way it should be. That's the way we ought to relate with God, to trust him at his word and to do as he says. Righteousness is the state of things being as they should. Jesus had righteousness because every part of his being was as it should be. No flaw. He related with God, with with mankind, with creation, perfectly. It was connected to his righteousness. So when things are not as they should be, then it's the state of what? Unrighteousness, right? Just the opposite. When things aren't right, they're unrighteous. When they're right, they're righteous. So let me recall the picture now of Jesus' baptism. We have Jesus having just come up out of the waters, the Spirit descending over Jesus and the water. There's another significant, similar description in Scripture about the Spirit coming over the waters and hovering. And it's Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 2. Let me read this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Hmm. 
Do you ever think about that? That maybe Jesus' baptism, does this have connections to that verse there? All the way at the beginning. And this is that insight that really struck at me. And so this is what I want to share with you this morning, that I think that there might be another level of meaning here in the baptism of Jesus. And I think it has some things for us that God wants to call us to in our time and place today. How would the original hearers have understood Genesis 1, verse 2? Because that's where we got to go. In order to capture what Jesus is doing in the baptism, like I said, he's making connections to the Old Testament. we got to go back. Okay, we've got the Spirit hovering over the waters, and Jesus is there. The Hebrew thinkers, the Hebrew listeners and watchers there who have memorized the Old Testament, large portions of it, they would have been very familiar with one, Genesis chapter, what we call Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. Here's the imagery. The imagery has something to do, contrast itself with the stories of creation that, were, that the Hebrew people would have known at that time. Let me explain. There's a word called polemic. A polemic is some kind of response, a sharp criticism towards another viewpoint. And when, what we know now is when we study Genesis in light of other creation stories, such as from the Egyptians and the Babylonians, we see not only similarities, but key differences. And so we understand that what God, as he reveals to Moses, the creation account, that God is contrasting what his people would have known in those cultures and saying, this is, what was, this is what they say, here's what I say. This is how it happened. And both the Egyptian and Babylonian and other creation myths had this idea, this understanding of the earth started where the earth was covered with water. And that situation was understood to be chaos, without order. And here's how they do Think about it. Water. What shape does water have? Does it have any shape of its own? It doesn't. It only fits the shape of the container it's in. So it's without shape. It's without form. And so there's no structure to it. It fills it. So it's chaos. That's how it was understood. And so here we see Jesus, God is saying, right here, guess what? At the beginning of creation, there was chaos. And God hovers over the surface of the water and brings order through his spoken word to bring order out of the chaos. And so here, back in Genesis, Moses, he gives the people of Gen uh, what Genesis says. He's contrasting with what the Egyptians and the Babylonians Culture stories they would have been very familiar with. Seeing the contrast and the difference. Oh, creation. It's God's order that established it. Not, not other gods of the Egyptians or gods of the Babylonians. God, who's the Lord of heaven and earth, brought order out of the chaotic waters through his spoken word. So now, let's go back to the baptism of Jesus. What do we see? We see Jesus coming up out of the waters, the imagery going right back to Genesis, with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters where Jesus was standing. And now, the Word of God, right there. Do you see the connection? 
have the waters, the Spirit, and the Word. In Genesis, God's Word brings order out of the chaos, and Adam and Eve were created to maintain God's order in creation. Now with Jesus' baptism, we have the Spirit, we have the water, we have the Word, and Jesus bringing in a new order to reestablish uh, the chaos of man's fallenness to bring God's order back to the earth. Jesus is also called the new Adam. So there's other connections throughout the whole story of Scripture that is showing an, a different, an added meaning, an added layer that I've never seen before. Here's the new Adam right here coming up out of the chaotic water saying, I am bringing God's order back to the earth. Now, with any good story, there's always a villain. That's because we have a villain that we, we know about. Who is the one that tries to take away God's order and bring chaos? The devil. Lucifer, Satan, father of lies. I mean, we could... Bible gives multiple names. Adam and Eve at the beginning bought into the word of Satan. Think about what's going on. God gave Adam and Eve his word, his order to maintain. Satan comes in, challenges God's word, gives a new word. And who does Adam and Eve obey? Satan's word. And when you obey somebody, you place yourself under their authority under their throne, going to what the kids just learned about, what we got to watch. That was the bondage that mankind became under because they followed Satan's word. And so Jesus is coming to bring that freedom, but he's the new word, the word that has come to restore and to bring freedom. So Jesus, dripping with the water of the Jordan, the Spirit descending on him, it is a declaration of war against Satan's chaos and order and saying I'm going to reestablish God's order here on the earth and I'm going to redeem a people and call them to my ways to follow God's ways because those are the righteous ways those are the blessed ways those are the ones that allow humanity to flourish and to grow and to thrive Satan lies and says yeah you'll flourish under me you'll feel real good but in the end, it's death and chaos. So Jesus' baptism is a declaration of war. And that's our big idea this morning. It's what I want you to walk away with when you think now of Jesus' baptism is that Jesus is the warrior king who has declared war against chaos. So those of you who've been baptized, did you think about that when you were going in the, up and out of the water? No. But it's there. Each of us have been called to push back in the chaos of our world. We just learned that Jesus is sitting on the throne in heaven. 
So why are we still here? What's our role? What's our purpose? We are to continue on what Jesus started by pushing back against the chaos in our world. We are not to be passive bystanders sitting in the grandstands cheering Jesus on as if he's on the field. Jesus sitting there waving us onto the field. And he's saying, let's go. Look at the chaos in your neighbor's lives, in our own lives, in our country's lives. See, the reason why I think this is important is because we can easily get a passive stance. A passive stance that says, oh, God's sovereign. He's in control. Okay, I'm not challenging that at all. But usually how we apply that is, all right, God, go ahead, do it. Go ahead, God. You're sovereign, you're in control. I just get to sit here and watch. Ah, uh, no. Is that what Jesus did with his disciples? Teach them just to sit and watch? Did he? Sorry, folks, I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable this morning. We are called to a great task to push back the chaos. And this started the moment you identify with Jesus in baptism. When God's redeeming power brought you out of the waters of chaos through his resurrection and anointed you as a warrior like him to push back on the chaos that is all around us. It is not biblical to be passive and to sit like we're in the grandstands. He calls us out to the field. He calls us out. We are called out ones. It's what apostles mean. Sent ones. Just as the Father sent me, so I send you. We are called to go out. So I've mentioned three possible meanings to Jesus' baptism. One, identity. This is who the Messiah is. It's Jesus. Some kind of act of cleansing, a setting apart uh, for a purpose, for a mission that, ultimate, that came to the atonement for all the mankind's sin, which Jesus as the high priest did. Another possible meaning of Jesus' baptism is that it's a declaration of war against chaos and Satan's kingdom where God, through his Son, has said, no more. I'm here to restore, to redeem. So which one do you think it is? It can also be all three, right? And that's just the brilliance of God, who is able to make multiple connections on one event. He's brilliant. He's able to do that when we see it. So it's all three levels. I think it's, there's no problem with concluding that all three, and there's probably more, more meaning that God has packed in when Jesus is baptized. But let's just focus on these three. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who would rescue God's people. He's the great high priest, the one who goes into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of mankind. That relationship with God might be restored. That he might bring about righteousness. Make things right. 
And it's a declaration that Jesus has come to defeat Satan and his kingdom to reestablish God's kingdom here on the earth. And from this point on, in the Gospels, after his temptation, we see Jesus waging war. What does he go around doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Healing. Working against the works of Satan. And finally, delivering. Delivering from demonic oppression. Saying, Satan, you, your grip on here is done. Your days are numbered. And what does he train the disciples to do? Those three things. Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Jesus. Healing and delivering. We see that in Acts. The set, you cannot miss it. You see what Jesus was doing? He trains his disciples. Jesus does his work on the cross. ascends to the Father. What do the disciples do? The same thing that Jesus was doing. I think that's what we're called to do today. If you want to know the heart of the Great Commission, I would say it's those three things. It's establishing the kingdom of heaven here on earth in the name of Jesus. That's our goal. That's why we meet on Sunday mornings as the family of God. We meet to leave those doors and to extend his kingdom. These three things map onto us when we are baptized into Christ, when we come to him. First of all, our identity has changed. We are now identified as children of God. Romans 8.15 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. We've received the spirit of adoption which cries out, Abba, Father. Abba being the most intimate term for daddy. We are in the household of God. We are in the family of God through Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new person. And you've got a name you're going to learn someday that comes from your heavenly father. You are new. Secondly, cleansed. You have been set apart for, as a priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A chosen race. And we are to declare the marvelous excellencies of God. Priests facilitate between the deity that's worshipped and the people to bring them together. That's what Jesus the high priest did. He brought us in contact with the king of the, the Lord Almighty. He facilitated. He was the mediator. Now he's in heaven. We are part of the priesthood of the body of Christ. We are all called to facilitate those who don't know Jesus to bring them to Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a priest, to facilitate relationship with God. We are all called to that. It's not just Pastor Chris. It's not just if you have this little title here. We are all part of the priesthood. I'm sorry, nobody's exempt. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter how much you know or don't know. 
God can use you to facilitate bringing somebody you know to bring them to God. And then finally, in becoming members of God's family, we also declare war on chaos in Satan's kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see a little bit of the clothes that we get to wear when we come to Christ. And some of you may know what Ephesians 6 is about. It's about the armor of God. Is the armor of God a nice, soft, flowing robe? Is it like Gap or Old Navy? No. It's armor. It's hard. It's made for battle, for fighting. And we are called to fight against the order of chaos in order to reestablish God's order here on the earth. That's all done in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that as followers, we are all we have armor to put on, which simply amplifies and connects with this calling that we are called, that when we were baptized, when we were brought out of the water, is a declaration of war against chaos and death and sin. And so we are called to be the community that lives within life. The ways of God bring about life and flourishing. We are called to be that community that represents, represents Jesus to the world and his ways. And when we see the enemy having a stronghold on one of our neighbors, guess what? We have all power and authority through Jesus Christ to wield that power to bring freedom to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members, so that they might know Jesus. Did you know that you were called to war? So some questions might be coming up. All right, Pastor Matt, or Matt, you can just call me Matt. All right, I see, I see the connection you're making. That's, that's well all good. What, what does that mean for me today? So one question is, okay, where do we fight? Where's the battle? Well, where is there chaos? Everywhere. We just experienced it in the state of Ohio this past Tuesday, didn't we? Yeah, that chaos, that stinks. That stinks. And you know what? I imagine many of you are feeling tired with this battle. Maybe we've been in an environment where it feels like we haven't been winning much. Wherever you see chaos, that's where the battle's at. And we need to continue to trust God to push forward, to think wisely about how to navigate it, and to push back. So yeah, all right, there's chaos. Guess what? We're still here on earth. God's will doesn't happen wherever we want it to. There's still murder, stealing, and still abortion. Fight back. That's what we're called. We don't just sit back and let it happen. In fact, I could bring up a historical argument that shows that the more that the church has pulled away out of culture, the culture's gotten worse. So I think we need to reflect about Tuesday that maybe we're not engaged enough. Now, obviously that brings up, well, we got to get involved in politics. I'm not saying that. Maybe for some. There is a, a bad balance where we can get too involved. 
But to fully disengage is bad. And it lends to results of a state amendment legalizing abortion in this state. Where do we fight? Wherever there's chaos. And it's right where God has placed you. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure you're experiencing plenty of chaos right where you're at. So how do we fight? We don't fight the way the world fights. It begins by living out God's way in your life. So all the different calls to obedience that you might hear, whether on the radio or on a Sunday morning, or maybe from your parents, uh, you know, clean up your room or something like that, right? That's part of cleaning up chaos, right? Um, right, parents? Can I hear an amen to that? Um, it's living out God's way in your life. And this is, this is part of what I'm learning now in my journey. Uh, Living Hope Church, uh, I've been a pastor of for five years. Uh, we've, we've had to sell our building. And so the mode that I grew up experiencing church, where we have a place, and for shorthand we call the church when we know it's the people, right? But uh, we've, we're having to let that resource go. And it's not fun. Not been a fun transition. And so I've been what uh, in pastor speak are bivocational. So I'm transitioning, becoming, getting paid from uh, a marketplace job more than my pastoral role. And it's in the area of financial planning. And so now I got to figure out okay, if, God, if I've been baptized in Christ and I'm called to fight back against the order of chaos, how does that fit into my new role? And so God's just been leading me on a journey. Okay, God, this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm still a follower. I'm still your child. It's not where I thought I would be. But this is where you place me. So how do I fight back? And it's the same for each of you. Whether you're in construction, whether you're a first responder, whether, I'll just read my list, where are some policemen, doctors, nurses, military, landscapers, carpenters, plumbers, wherever you're at, that's your battleground. And it becomes the question, okay, God, here on this day, when you go to work tomorrow, the question becomes, not how can I get through the day, but Jesus, how can I push back on chaos and establish your order? That order of love that order of truth, that order of freedom and flourishing, kindness. How can I push back against the order of chaos that doesn't want people to live in that way so that I might extend your kingdom right where you've planted me? So where do we fight? Wherever there's chaos. How do we fight? It begins by living out the ways of God in your life. It's going to look different for everybody. No matter your job, you have a place in fighting against Satan's order. Let me pray. Dad, I just, I just want to say we love you. 
the grace and the mercy that just simply overwhelm us each and every day. Your mercies are new every day. We receive them with gratitude. We say thank you. And Lord, I, I know for me that sometimes I'm just tired. I don't want to think about pushing back the, the chaos. I just want to sit on my couch, spend time with my family, and not think much about anything else. But Lord, when I do that too much, would you give me the strength to consider the baptism of Jesus and how it was also a declaration of war? And would you give me the strength to know that I stand under your name and your authority, the highest authority in all of creation? You've given me exactly what I need to fight back. You've called me out to the field. You've called me out to the battle. I simply ask for your help in moving forward with you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just rest a blessing on each person's heart and mind. Whatever you are stirring in them, whether it's been through my words or not, I don't care. But may each of us be able to recognize your voice, to hear it and to follow, knowing that you have such good things in store for us through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Matt, for delivering God's word to us this morning. Um, Let's stand and sing of our Lord and Savior. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin
my garments white in the blood of Calvary's land. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus made it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow sin He washed it white as snow. Amen. Well, we'll remain standing here as we finish the service. Matt, thank you again for coming and, and opening God's word with us. I thought in light of what you shared, instead of uh, ending on a word of benediction, this morning we'd end on a word of commission and then the word of commission, which is uh, the Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28. Uh, a lot of Matt's this morning, Matt Baysmore, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 3, Matthew 28. We do this on purpose, people. Um, uh, not really. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20, the risen Christ says this to his disciples, and he says the same to us today. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Go in his power and his presence this morning.